far as the eye can see, only the wide expanse of sea and sky. And for a moment I forget why I've run away. I don't know what I've done to deserve this hideaway, this healing elixir of sea and sun, but I thank God in a prayer snatched from my lips by the sea wind. I thank him that we don't always get what we deserve. Sometimes we get what we need. Low and pink, the sun hovers over the horizon like an iridescent bubble suspended by a playful angel. I bait the hook of my fishing pole with a gray shrimp and cast the line way out into the waves. After anchoring the pole firmly in wet sand, I walk far enough to see the town of Grayton. Last time I walked those streets, peeping in the little shops and art galleries, Augusta and Gus waited for me in the outdoor cafe beneath banana trees. The town blurs as my eyes fill with tears, and remembering I turn my head away toward the setting sun. How many sunsets will it take before I can think of them without crying? I guess that's what I've come to Grayton to find out. I ended up at Grayton Beach because I came to Crystal Springs first. It was three years ago, the first Wednesday in June, that Ben and I moved to the town of Crystal Springs across the state of Florida from the Jacksonville area where we'd lived for 20 years. With the moving van a few minutes behind us, we pulled our cars, me following Ben, a metaphor for our life together, into the driveway of our new house. It was a fine place with a lush lawn, white daisies and orange daylilies abloom in front. The wide ground sloped toward the street to a sidewalk shaded with palm trees. Towns with sidewalks seemed more welcoming to me. We'd moved before several times, but this was the most momentous one yet. Ben motioned for me to join him before we walked up the brick walkway to the house. A welcoming committee awaited us inside, and I was nervous. A few weeks before, Ben had met with them and won them over. Now it was my turn. Dean, listen to me now, Ben said in a low voice as we stood next to his blue Buick. I was thinking on the ride over, a couple things I forgot to tell you about these folks. Although I was skittish, worried about making a good impression, Ben was poised and confident. His brown eyes were alight, his dark hair in place. Almost fifty now, Ben looked better than the first day I saw him, standing in the back of the First Methodist Church of Amelia Island. As a young man, he'd been good-looking in a boyish, clean-cut way. As an older man, he was remarkably handsome. Trim and muscular, he always dressed well. Impressive in dark suits, starched shirts, silk ties, and fine leather shoes. He was one of those men who became more distinguished with age, his silvered temples giving him an air of authority, a helpful trait in his profession. I folded my arms and leaned against his car with a sigh. I don't know how, I said, since you've given me every detail of their lives, but I know more about them than they do. Looking around, I saw that the church next door to the parsonage was big, much bigger than I expected, with a towering white steeple and stained glass windows gleaming in the sun like jewels. The saying went, the more stained glass, the higher up the ladder the preacher was. Ben was halfway to heaven here. Remember this, because it's very important he said in a whisper, although there was no one around to hear him. The administrative board chairperson is Bob Harris. 
Bob Harris, president of First Florida Bank, a real big shot in town, so be especially nice to him. Bob Harris, I repeated dutifully, looking away from the church. I didn't know it would be so big. I longed for the safety of our little church in Lake City, wishing we'd never come here. Ben bent his head close to mine, and I smelled his spicy aftershave. Got everyone's name right? Bob's wife's Collie, I think. Collie something or other. Collie Dog? Collie Ruth, I believe. No, wait. That's his sister-in-law. His wife's Lorraine, or Loretta. Loretta Harris, that's it. Which one, Ben? Lorraine, just like I said. You've got to pay attention, Dean, or you'll mess up. Now, remember who the president of the Pastor Parish Relations Committee is? I shook my head and held up a hand, annoyed. You're confusing me. Trust me, okay? I'll get their names right. I'm not the one who stood in the pulpit and introduced the guest soloist Peter Littlejohn as John Little Peter, I reminded him. You'll never let me live that down, will you? Cutting his eyes my way, Ben tried not to smile to maintain his look of piety. It was the look he was good at. Never. Anytime you get too self-righteous, I'll be here to remind you, I told him, smiling. We'd spent twenty years together with me being his foil. He was the esteemed man of God, me the thorn in his side. I'll be fine, Ben. Don't worry. I'll be on my best behavior. You'd better be. Let's go in, then. Ben put his hand on my back, steering me forward, and I swallowed nervously as we climbed the brick steps, moving toward our new life, to meet the people who decide if we'd make it here or not. I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I married Ben. Had I known, would I have done it? It's impossible to answer that now. All I know is when I first laid eyes on the Reverend Ben Lynch, I knew he was the man I'd marry. I'd taken a job right out of college as pianist at my foster parents' church on Amelia Island when the Reverend Ben Lynch was appointed our pastor. It was his second, maybe third, church appointment since he'd gotten out of seminary. Almost 30 years old then, the son of a prominent minister, he'd been on his way. To be a successful preacher, however, he needed a wife, and he needed one quick. He was too good-looking, too smooth and charming to stay single. Younger women in his churches fell in love with him, and the older ones plotted to marry him off to their daughters. The bishop didn't like single ministers. There was too much potential for trouble. But Ben had been too preoccupied with getting his doctorate, preparing himself for a life of service in the church to look for a wife. Lucky me. I came along at just the right time. Because of my moony-eyed crush on him, the church ladies conspired to marry us off. With no idea that they'd set a trap for him, Ben took me on as a project, educating me in the ways of the church, molding me to be the perfect preacher's wife. The welcoming committee surrounded Ben and me as soon as we opened the front door, and I was enveloped in hugs and kisses. A quick count told me there were two men and four women. A determined smile on my face, I eyed them warily, my defenses up. I knew from past experiences that this committee would be the one to tell everyone in town about the new preacher and his wife. Before the sun set today, Crystal Springs would know exactly how we dressed, how we acted toward each other, 
and the contents of every single box we brought in. So this lovely lady is your better half, Dr. Lynch, said the first man to greet us. He had to be Bob Harris, chairman of the administrative board, exactly as I pictured him, in his early sixties with bright silver hair and a politician smile and handshake. Standing next to him, his wife wasn't Lorraine or Loretta, but Noreen, and I shot Ben an exasperated look when I called her both before getting it right. Chairwoman of the Parsonage Committee, Noreen was petite, with beige hair that wouldn't budge in a hurricane. Why, Dean, you're so pretty, and so much younger than we expected, she said. As she spoke, she kissed my cheek and flooded her eyelashes at Ben. Her breath smelled of cigarettes and her perfume gardenias. The next one to introduce herself was exactly as Ben had described her. Collie Ruth Walker, sister to Noreen and the president of the most powerful organization in the church, the United Methodist Women. Immediately I was drawn to Collie Ruth, a handsome woman in her sixties tastefully dressed in a silk dress and pearl choker. The sunlight through the windows of the entrance hall caught the sparkle of diamonds on her fingers. Everyone's been dying to meet you, Dean. Collie Ruth smiled, hugging me close. Her face was open and friendly, and her brown eyes twinkled youthfully. Somehow I knew she'd be an advocate, which wasn't always the case. Collie Ruth turned me to face the rest of the committee. Meet Lorraine Bullock, our music director, and her husband, A.H., chair of the Pastor Parish Relations Committee. With them's our talented organist, Sylvia Hines. I told Ben afterward that I smelled trouble with those three right away. Preacher's wives develop a sort of radar where church people are concerned.